why it's important to witness to the Jewish people. And a couple of things. First of all, I was very encouraged by that missions report, as I hope you were as well. You know, I, I speak in lots of churches. Obviously, I've done so for the last 31 years that I've been on staff as a missionary. And it's not that often that I hear mission reports when I go to churches. And so that's always very encouraging to me as, as a full-time missionary to hear about what other people are doing and how churches are standing with those missionaries out there. So I can tell you for them that they appreciate your being supportive of them. The other thing I wanted to do very briefly is I wanted to pray right now for Israel. Um, I don't know if any of you have been following the news. And, you know, the news a lot of times is very sketchy, if you know what I mean, when it comes to Israel and what's going on over there. But Israel has been under attack the last day and a half or so from uh, Gaza uh, in terms of rockets and things like that. And I heard something this morning on the Internet that uh, actually one person, a, a civilian, was killed in, in Ashkelon in the southern part of Israel. So if I can pray for Israel right now, I'd like to do that. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for uh, the comfort and the safety and the blessing that we have living here in the United States. And, and Lord, right now, we pray for those in, in Israel and even in Gaza, Lord, all of those innocent people that are undergoing attacks, Lord. And we know the attacks come from the evil one. We know that's where it starts. And so we pray, Lord, for safety for all of those innocent people there. And we pray uh, that you would somehow bring a peace there, uh, temporary at best for now. But uh, we pray that you would bring peace there, uh, even as uh, there's this fighting going on. We just commit this to you with thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So my message this morning... I've entitled To the Jew First. And it comes from a very famous passage, which you may be familiar with. It's, in the go- it's not in the gospel. It might as well be a gospel. It's the epistle to the Romans. It's uh, chapter 1, verse 16. And if I can invite you to turn there right now, just one verse. But um, if you have your Bible, it's worth <clears throat> taking a look at it. But in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Um, I want to share a brief story with you that highlights a problem within the church today. And uh, that problem is the absence of reaching Jewish people the gospel. And it really stems from things like this passage, and I'll I'll explain how in a minute. Um, You know, when my kids were growing up, my wife Sandy, who's here with me this morning, um, used to be an Awana leader. Awana is a children's program in a lot of Christian churches. Maybe you've heard of it before where young children, they learn memory verses from the scriptures and things like that. And I remember one day when my, my wife came home from being an Awana leader uh, one night, that uh, there was a scripture that was being supposed to be memorized. And it was actually Romans 1.16. And she came home and she said, Rob, you're not going to believe this, but this is how 
this verse is supposed to be memorized by the kids. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe. And that was it. And if that weren't enough, you know, I love my church, but a a few years ago there was a a couple of banners that were up at the front of our church, and it was this this, this passage again, this verse. Same deal. And so I I talked with uh, one of the folks, one of the pastors about it and all, or one of the elders, and apparently there wasn't enough room on the banner, I guess, to get the whole verse in. Now, you know, unfortunately that was the case, but I think that really highlights a real problem within the church, and that's the absence of the gospel for the Jewish people. And I think it's a mistake to not take seriously the words of the Apostle Paul here. And there are a few scriptural references I'd like to look at this morning. First, during Jesus' earthly ministry, when he sent his disciples out in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 to 6, he specifically said, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's in Matthew 10, 5 to 6. I can tell that you're biblically literate here, and I hear pages turning and all. But for lack of time and stuff, I wanted to be careful about having you turn to every passage. Now, you know, don't misunderstand me. If the Gentiles weren't a part of God's plan, he wouldn't have gone. Jesus would not have gone to the Samaritan village to speak with the woman at the well. Nor... Would he have gone into the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is in present-day Lebanon, southern Lebanon, and interact with a Canaanite woman and heal her spiritually possessed daughter? And that's recorded in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28, if you're taking notes. So I believe the point is that God has always had a plan for the Jewish people to be a light to the nations, And that was why he made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why he gave the law to the Israelites after their exodus from Egypt. That's why he revealed himself through the Jewish prophets. But I can tell you that as a Jewish person, I can acknowledge that my people did not fulfill the Lord's calling on our lives. However, God knowing everything... And knowing that that would happen, he sent his son Yeshua, a descendant of Abraham and a descendant of David, to fulfill his plan. So getting back to the New Testament, before Jesus ascended to heaven, after his resurrection in Acts chapter 1, he gave his disciples specific instructions in reaching out to the world with the gospel. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So geographically speaking, if you're a visual person, you know, you can think of a target, okay, a bullseye and all. And the concentric circles reaching out, right? And you have Jerusalem in the middle, Then you have Judea and Samaria. 
Then you have all of Israel, then you have all of the Middle East, et cetera, et cetera. You got the picture, I'm sure. Um, so that was his plan for the gospel to spread first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And though Paul was not one of the original 12, we see repeatedly in the book of Acts that when he entered a new city to spread the gospel, do you remember where the first stop was for him? The synagogue, that's right. Coincident? Coincidentally, no. Um, For instance, in Acts chapter 13, verse 5, on Paul's first missionary journey, he says, when they reach, it says, when they reach Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And then in Acts chapter 13, verse 14, it says, but going on from Perga, they arrived in Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and they sat down. And then in verse 16, Paul begins to recount the history of the Jewish people leading up to Jesus. Paul faithfully followed the instructions that were set forth by the Lord. And finally, going back to the epistle to the Romans in chapters 9 to 11, Paul repeatedly expresses his heart's desire of wanting to see his people, the Israelites, come to believe in Jesus. And you can turn here to Romans chapter 9, verses 3 to 5, and I'll read that for us. That's Romans chapter 9, verses 3 to 5. And Paul says here, For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption of sons, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and for whom is the Messiah, the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. So Paul mentions here that Jesus, in essence, is the ultimate fulfillment of God's purposes for Israel. He states in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, that his desire and his prayer to God is for their salvation. And most significant in this area here in this statement is it's found in Romans 11.1. 1. God hasn't rejected his people, has he? God forbid. You know, it sounds like, you know, remember, Paul's Jewish, right? So I could see, I could just picture him saying, God forbid, oh my goodness, if he does such a thing. May it never be. And he restates it in the very same, the same way in the very next verse as a means of emphasis. So, There's a plan here. There's been a partial hardening that has happened to my Jewish people so that the Gentiles would have the opportunity to have a personal relationship with the God of Israel. But even in that, God had a plan. It was to make my people jealous, as it says in Romans chapter 11, verse 11. I say say then, they didn't stumble as to fall, did they? 
God forbid, may it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to you guys, to the Gentiles, to make them jealous. So, in this chapter, Paul gives a warning to the Gentile believers, reminding them that they have been grafted into the root. And that if they can be grafted in, even as unnatural branches, how much more can the Jewish people be grafted back into the root as natural branches? So why am I mentioning all of this? Well, let's get back to Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where we started, which says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So my challenge to each of us today here is to remember God's plan of salvation and not to forget the need for my Jewish people to hear the gospel. That's where God's heart beats and that's where our hearts beat as well as Jews for Jesus. And, you know, I, I want to share a bit of my testimony with you because I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm wondering, how many of you know somebody who's Jewish? I figured as much. It's okay. And you know what? Don't worry if your hand didn't go up. You know why? I bet you know somebody who's Jewish. You just don't know it. Okay? And I, w- I wanted to share a bit of my testimony with you because you know what? Growing up in New York City, it wasn't until I was 16 years old that I heard for the first time in my life an intelligent presentation of the gospel. Can you imagine that? And guess what? It wasn't even in New York City. And I'm going to share a bit about that now. Well, you know, my story goes back to the late 1930s. Now, do I look that old? I'm not. I'm not, okay? Um, My parents are Holocaust survivors from Germany. And um, when they were in their, well, when they were, my dad was in his teens. My mother was early, you know, and she was just about six years old. Well, their families were able to move to the United States. My dad and his family came after Crystal Night, after the destruction of the synagogues in 1938, November 10th, 1938. And anyway, um, or the 9th. Anyway, so they met in New York. They married. And then my brother and I came along. We were raised conservative Jewish. We grew up in Hebrew school, going to Hebrew school, having our bar mitzvahs at the age of 13. And my brother, when he was in his early 20s, decided he wanted to move out to California. You know, we used to vacation out here. We liked it out here. And he had just graduated college. He didn't have any strings, any family other than us in New York. And he wanted to move. So he moved out to L.A. And since we were very close-knit as a family, my father drove cross country with Steve in his little Volkswagen Beetle, affectionately named Herbie. This is back in 1974, Okay. And we didn't know anybody in L.A. And so um, they looked for an apartment. They found an apartment in Hollywood. And my brother wasn't too crazy about it, and I'll tell you why. You know, when you come from New York, what do you want from an apartment? You want swimming pools. You want palm trees. And this apartment complex didn't have either one. Well, the apartment manager was a sweet Jewish woman from Great Britain by the name of Lily who had a twinkle in her eye. And my dad liked her a lot, you know. And so 
He couldn't figure out what it was about her. She said, Fred, if Steve takes the apartment, just give me your phone number back in New York, and I'll call you if he has any problems. Now, if we're parents, we know that's a nice insurance policy, right? So um, my brother took the apartment at the encouragement of my dad. Little did they know that Lily was a Jewish believer in Jesus. So Steve, in his loneliness, used to visit Lily sometimes during the day before he had a job and whatever. Lily used to leave Jews for Jesus gospel tracts on her coffee table, I understand. And she used to share the gospel with them. Now, realize that Steve was an atheist or an agnostic when he moved from New York. So one day we're hearing, you know, my dad had been back in New York by this point. We heard that Steve was attending Bible studies on Friday nights. Now we thought, well, that's pretty interesting. What atheist or agnostic attends a Bible study? And Friday nights, yeah, we thought it was some kind of an Onik Shabbat service, which is like a Friday evening Jewish ceremony, right? So I'm, I'm about to turn 17. It's Passover, spring break, you know. And so I decide to visit my brother in L.A. And so he picks me up at the airport at LAX. And my first question to him is, so Steve, what's this about Bible studies? I thought you don't believe in God. He said, well, Rob, you know what? I do believe in God. And you know what else? I believe the Messiah has come. So I said, oh, really, Steve? I thought he was Meshuggah. You know what I mean? I thought he was nuts. And he said, don't get mad at me, but you know what? You know who I believe the Messiah is? So I said, okay, go ahead, tell me. He said, I believe it's Jesus. And I said, no way. How could you do such a thing to mom and dad after what they went through in the Holocaust? Now, you have to clarify what that means. See, for Jewish people, the Holocaust, the Inquisition, the Crusades, all those different things have been equated with Christianity. So what was I to think? He was one of us, and now he's become one of them. And I thought he was a traitor. I said, how could you do such a thing? And he shared with me a bit. And then um, he invited me to go to a Passover Seder that was being held by Jews for Jesus. And I thought, are you kidding? And he said, well, it's really, you know, it's Passover, right? And I felt like it's Passover. And I wanted to be a part of a Seder, even though I thought he was probably crazy. And I thought they were probably crazy, too. Well, I went along. And that's where I heard the gospel for the first time, during a Passover Seder, which was like the Last Supper, you know, that's what that was, basically. And then um, I heard some messianic prophecy for the first time in my life. And then we went back to his apartment, and what do you think's on TV? The greatest story ever told on the life of Jesus. And I'm hearing this, I'm watching it, and I'm hearing things that I'd heard during the, the Seder. And then my brother's friend who was a branch leader for Jews for Jesus back then in L.A., invited me to go the next day to Universal Studio. He knew I wanted to do some tourism. He wanted to do evangelism. So he thought, well, let's put the two together, right? So he went to Universal, and he shared with me. He gave me a book called The Late Great Planet Earth, which was on the top ten bestseller list back then. And uh, I took it. My brother said, before you go home, you have to promise me that you're not going to tell mom and dad anything about, your, about my beliefs. I said, no way. You don't have to worry. I'm not going to say a word, okay? Um, I don't want to start World War III, right? So I went back. I was reading the book. I didn't say a word. 
Well, some weeks later, my brother called. He hadn't called in a while. My folks were very upset because he used to call all the time, you know. And my mom decided, I'm going to give him a little bit of Jewish guilt when he calls next. So the phone rings. She realizes it's Steve, and she says, oh, hello. And my brother says, Mom, what's the matter? And she said, oh, nothing. She said, come on, I know there's something wrong. Did Robbie tell you I believe in Jesus? And that's how they found out. So 1975, we're on three phone extensions back in New York, and Steve's on the other end in in California. The one-hour transcontinental argument that's going on. And after we got off the phone, my folks were pretty much devastated. And God started using me already to intervene for my brother, even though I was not a believer yet. But I think I was already in process. And so they were very upset. But then my brother's friends that I had met were coming to New York on ministry business. They wanted to meet my parents. And my parents said, no way. My, br- my father said, if they come to our apartment, I'm going to throw them off our terrace. We lived on the 12th floor of our apartment building. Well, I said, you've got to meet these people because you've got to find out what's going on here. And they're really nice. My parents, they gave in. And my parents fell in love with them. And then back then, our ministry had a singing team, the Liberated Wailing Wall. And they were giving a concert in Greenwich Village, an outdoor concert. And we were invited to go. And we ended up going. And it was dark and overcast. This is in June, mind you, of 1975. Dark and overcast. looked like it was going to rain any minute. You could feel the humidity. They did the concert. They did their evangelistic drama. They packed up. We walked over at our car. And what do you think happens? The sky opens up. You know, lightning, thunder, rain. And so my mom leans over my dad because all the weather held up until it was all done. And she said, Freddie, you think they have connections? <laughs> and, and short story, the rest of it was we went to visit my brother a month or two later in California, attended a couple of Bible studies. My parents asked me, Rob, do you believe this stuff too? And I said, I'm not sure. Because I saw how they reacted to my brothers. I, I wasn't sure that I wanted to say, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty certain. And then in the fall of 1975, Jews for Jesus opened up its New York office. And we were invited to go to a Bible study on Tuesday nights, and we started going. And one night, uh, we had a homework uh, assignment that was to read from 1 John. Now, you know, what do Jewish people know about the New Testament, let alone a lot of the Old Testament? And by this point, my dad had a Bible, and he's flipping through, and he gets to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John 1. And he thinks, John 1, 1 John. Must be the same thing, right? You know. And he read it, and he liked it so much he read the whole gospel. And then I don't know that it was that night or several nights later, whatever. It's a long time ago. But he woke up in the middle of the night, and he saw a shadowy figure standing at the door of his bedroom. And he believed it was Jesus. And then the very next day, he committed his life to the Lord. And then I did, although I I have a feeling I was probably already a believer. And then a few months later, after a lot of prodding and then a lot of prayer, we realized the prodding of my mother was not a good thing. It pushed her away, basically. Um, She actually came to a Bible study, finally came back with us. And one night it was on Isaiah 53, which is one of the, the greatest messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. 
and she opened her heart to Jesus as well. And that's, that's all in the space of a year's time. And my wife is another story, and I'm not going to share the whole thing. You can talk with her later, but she's the only one in her family that's ever come to faith. And um, there isn't a whole lot of openness. Her parents are no longer living. And as far as best as we can tell, they probably didn't receive the Lord. And so, you know, two sides of the coin, same coin. Um, but why did I share all that? Because I want you to know. That's what you can expect sometimes with Jewish people, but don't give up. Because where the Holy Spirit is working, people's hearts are going to be open, and Jewish people are going to come to faith. So that's what I wanted to encourage you on. Don't give up on your friends, and if you haven't started sharing, you might be the only one. You know that? They might be waiting to hear from you. So having said all of that, let me pray, and then I want to give you an update on our ministry. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your encouragement, Lord, um, to make the gospel known to all people. Um, And especially, Lord, we know your heart. Your heart was to reach your own people, the Jewish people. Um, And Lord, I pray for our people again today that, uh, that many of our people will come to faith in you. And I pray for the folks here that know Jewish people, that uh, you give them encouragement through this morning to share in a loving and a tender way uh, the hope that lies within them. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.